Welcome to the party, pals. I'm Phil Gawthorne, action movie screenwriter. And I'm Liam Billingham, movie podcaster. And together we host Die Hard on a Blank, a podcast from Sugar23 that explores the influence of Die Hard on action cinema. In each episode, we'll talk about one major action movie that was released after Die Hard. Now, some of these movies take place on a bus. On a boat. Or even a roadhouse. Uh, sure. The point is, these are action movies that couldn't exist without Die Hard, and its DNA is everywhere. Die Hard on a Blank is a celebration of action movies and a deep dive into the ways that Die Hard shaped the action genre. So if you're a casual fan or an action movie Die Hard. Ooh, very nice. Then Die Hard on a Blank is for you. Yes, you personally. Our first two episodes, which are all about the original 1988 masterpiece Die Hard, drop December 21st, because Die Hard is a Christmas movie, wherever you get your podcasts. Phil, do the line. Now we have a podcast. (laughs) Ho, ho, ho. Welcome to RomereCast, a podcast about Eric Romare, his films, his working methods, and anything else we want to talk about related to Eric Romare. I'm Sean Senevaratni. And I'm Liam Billingham. And today's conversation will be, well, before I say what it is, Sean, I have a question for you. You got that summertime, summertime sadness? Oh. Sa-sa-sa summertime? The summertime summertime sadness. sadness. Dude, it's... It's for real. It's I got for real. that summertime. Uh, good song. Uh, the reason I asked you if you have that summertime sadness is because we're talking about Le Rayon Vert, or The Green Ray, from the magical year of 1986. I was four years old. Wow. I was one year old. My yeah, God. Just, just um, freshly born. Do, um, you, do you ever take a trip by yourself? Yeah. You know, like, so... I was really, when I was watching this movie, it made me think about that and think about the way I like to take vacations. And um, going to a film festival for the first Mm. time, when I first went to San Diego, to the San Diego uh, Asian Film Festival, that was my first time, like, really taking a solo trip before. Um, Wow. And uh, and I definitely liked it. You know, I liked the solitude, but I also and being at a film festival changes the dynamic with other people a little bit because there's an invitation to talk to other folks. Yeah, you're you can kind of like thing. make a best friend for two days. Totally, and, which is um, fun. That's so great. But like to travel alone, alone. Um, I don't know if I totally enjoy that. I think it would you know, force me to step out of comfort zones a little bit in a way that maybe is necessary. What about you? How do you feel about it? I've traveled alone a lot. I mean, I moved to the Czech Republic by myself and, and I spent a Christmas in Germany. Christmas 2006, five, no, 2006 by myself in in Berlin, uh, which was a little weird and yeah. not necessarily the the <laughs> the move you'd think it would be, but it was fun. I got to go to museums and it was okay. I did stay in a hostel and there were people around, but like, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it can be limiting. Um, yeah, yeah. This movie is about a woman traveling alone. But before we get into the film La Réunion, we should talk about our. I've been waiting, Romare in the air tonight. Hold on. Uh, I actually have no Romare in the air for the week, so that was just an excuse to sing once again on the podcast. You? Uh, yeah, actually, my Romare in the air is from today. So for the folks listening, if you are not um, familiar with uh, me as a host and what I do outside of this, I am a teacher in a New York City public school. And uh, for film. Today, uh, uh, yesterday, we started doing things on social media. So all my students created accounts to follow me. And then they were like, oh, what's your podcast? And it was my first time talking about the podcast with my students. And today, um, and then they were like, oh, that's really cool. And today, 
uh, one of my students uh, saw my uh, Eric Romare interview book and she's like, oh, that's the director that you do the podcast on. Can we watch one oh. of his movies in class? And I was like, I think this is a future episode for sure where it's the adventures of me introducing uh, a Romare first film to... First of all, to, to First of all, that's a, that's a real fucking challenge. That would, would oof, never, that would be mean. Would yeah, be yeah. Can you imagine? I mean, it's also mean to me because I have to defend it. You know, yeah. like it's a sort of relationship of... Though... Back and forth. <laughs> it's grown in my estimation a little bit. But yes, I understand. Uh, but we're not talking about Percival, though I'm sure it'll come up. We're talking about Le Rayon Vert. Yes, So yes. let's talk about what Le Rayon Vert. Uh, shall I read the letterbox description and you can read the criterion description so we cover all of our bases yes yes this is from letterbox a great website letterback box letterboxd letterboxd get at us a lonely parisian woman comes to terms with her isolation and anxieties during a long summer vacation uh i'm gonna give that a like a full five out of ten for a description because it is true that she is a lonely parisian woman uh, she does take a long summer vacation, but I don't know that she comes to terms with her isolation and anxiety. But oh. that's my feeling. Why don't you read the Criterion one? Well, I quite like the one that you give a 5 out of 10, because uh, I really do think it gets to the heart of what this movie's all about. Um, yeah, and but does she come to terms with all these things? That's a question. For, what maybe is, for you know, a longer How do we define what coming to terms is? And I, I would argue, yeah, she does, in the way oh. that it's set up for in the movie. Yeah, I see. But we'll, we'll get into that. And, uh, Whatever. I, <laughs> podcast canceled. No disrespect. Um, no, that was disrespect. It's fine. <laughs> so Criterion says, Delphine, and this is paraphrased from their description. Delphine, a dreamy, introverted young secretary who, reeling from a breakup, faces the anxiety-inducing prospect of spending summer vacation alone. As she travels around France, Delphine passes through a whirl of social activity, but nonetheless remains profoundly alone searching for the true human connection that seems to perpetually elude her. How do you feel about that description? I think that's much better than the letterbox one. I like that one mm, a lot more. It's because too it, much. I, it's too much. <laughs> all right. How'd you watch the movie, Sean? And when did you watch it? Give me all the deets. This is my, uh, I think maybe my fourth or fifth time seeing the film. Um, oh, wow. So th I was um, watching this. I was much less precious watching it. I was like eating dinner on the couch with my notebook out, um, watching it over two sittings at home um, off of the um, UK Blu-ray collection of the Comedies and Proverbs series. Very good. I was seeing it for the second time, though I hadn't seen it in a while. And I watched it in two sittings and I finished my second screening, uh, my second uh, dose of it about two and a half minutes before we started recording um oh, this amazing. one's been ha this one's been on the fly uh some interesting facts about this movie it is the fifth film in the comedies and proverbs series and the little tagline what are we calling it the little um opening yeah, the, tag yeah a little would you like uh, to share epitaph, it epithet um epitaph it's at the beginning yeah, yeah, of the movie right. yeah yeah What's, whatever the opposite of that is called it's not coming to me right now the uh the proverb that opens the film is Ah, let the time come when hearts are enamored by Arthur Rimbaud, uh, a French poet from the uh, late 1800s. Late 1800s, who was a um, favorite of uh, Bertolt Brecht. And a and, favorite uh, of Leos Carra. A favorite and, of a lot of, uh, of great uh, Europeans and of yeah. humans. Uh, this film won the Golden Lion at the 1986, 1986 Venice Film Festival. Uh, it, it sort of in, included a Romeo usual troop of crew members lots of people came back and the next fact i find uh, is also referenced in the biography which i find so interesting especially how we talk about movies and cinema now uh would you like to share this fact uh what are you sipping on there what do you got sean's sipping on something yeah yeah i mean we're talking about the green ray got these vacation vibes i got a cabernet franc Ooh. from eminence road which is a really great natural wine winery in uh, new york it's two o'clock, so I'm drinking a, a grapefruit spindrift. So I had Which, spindrift for the first time, and my mind's think? blown. Absolutely, you like, it's good, right? Yeah, they're good, right? Yeah, yeah, I don't really like the grapefruit. I'm more of a lemon or lime guy, but the grapefruit was the one that was cold. Um, they're also good mixers. Anyway, this movie premiere. Oh no, you were gonna say? You say it. You tell us. Tell us the interesting oh. fact. Um, the, he premiered this film on a TV station as opposed to the traditional outlet of premiering it in a theater. Um. 
He said, cinema here will survive only because of television. Without such an alliance, we won't be uh, able to afford French films. Um, really interesting quote too, because that's kind of the world that we're living in right now. If we think of the streamers and we think of like what's actually bringing yeah. in money and how these things are happening, it's movies are happening because the digital watch at home streamers are well, investing. I think it's also really, really important to say that um, there's never been one way to watch movies and talk about movies. And I think mm -hmm. that, you know, there's an oversimplification of that. Um, and France certainly is a country that leads the discussion on how things are distributed and are often viewed in this retrograde way, but did things like this in the 70s and 80s. And I will also say that part of the reason he decided to premiere it on film on, on TV is because that opened the film up to a bunch of funds it would not otherwise be able to receive. And so therefore, before the film opened in movie theaters because they chose to premiere it on television, it had already paid back like two thirds of its production budget. And that oh, I yeah. think is the key. It's, it is largely somewhat a financial right, consideration. Right, right. Let's talk yeah, about who worked. Really Let's talk about who worked on the movie. So it was directed by, uh, what's his name? Eric Romare. <laughs> and the screenplay interestingly is by Eric Romare and the lead of the film, Marie Riviere. And it's interesting to have a screenplay credit in a movie there where um, seemingly nothing is written, a movie that is uh, built around improvisation. The screenplay is being written as the movie's being created. And Marie Riviere is absolutely one of the, pretty much the primary contributor to uh, a lot of what we're this seeing. This really is, uh, she really is like a, a real muse for this guy in this later period. Um, this film is produced by Marguerite Menegos and Francois Etergeret. It stars Marie Delphine and a, and a whole host of supporting Romare players, including Beatrice Romand, who lives in Claire's Knee, A Good Marriage, some others, and Rosette, who is in The Aviator's Wife. Who is Rosette in The Aviator's Wife? I can't remember. Uh, that's the friend that's in the apartment building when they're on their little investigation. Oh, yeah. Uh, the cinematography is by Sophie Montin... Oh, man. Oh, man. This one's a tough one. Mentigneux. Mentigneux. And it's edited by Maria Luisa Garcia. The music's by Jean-Louis Valero. The sound is by Claudine Nougaret. And the film is produced by Le Film du Lusange, which is Eric Romare's company. And the Eric Romare company, which was sort of an offshoot of that. Yeah. And it runs a breezy, a breezy 98 minutes. Much like... Most, Most of his, of his except oeuvre. Percival, which I'm still watching. Um, <laughs> Sean, tell us a little bit about the structure of this movie. So uh, this is a story of someone trying to have a good vacation, trying to have a vacation period. And trying to the get way away from that. she's going to achieve that. So trying to get away from that summertime, summertime sadness. Yeah. Summertime. Summertime sadness. It, this is the running into the summertime sadness. This is all right. taking place at the top of summer. Uh, the movie is broken into 18 non-consecutive days, uh, beginning on Monday, July 2nd, and ending on Saturday, August 4th. So the it's really interesting, actually. I mean, like, the way he uses intertitles yeah. in his movies, yeah. um, you know, going back to Claire's Knee, but you see it in movies like this, too. It's... Um, it really places it in a way that feels very quotidian. Um, and I think there's this nice quality of including the day of the week. What, it may, yeah, I, I like, like that. Yeah, when do you, I've never, I feel like I've never really seen that where it's like the day of the week that there, that gets mentioned in a title card. No, not usually. Well, because often title cards in movies are used in historical dramas when it's like, you know, leading up to an important event, right? Like the, mm -hmm. there's almost, there's a, there's something about like in documentaries and this movie is kind of a documentary in some weird way. You know, we mentioned yeah. that it was improvised and like part of it was him rebelling about against the fact that people considered him too literary and he'd started mm. to see in some other, uh, something started to see other filmmakers like Rivette and uh, Truffaut who passed away prior, I believe to this film uh, coming out. But yeah. I didn't know this, Truffaut uh, financed The Aviator's Wife which is oh. really, really interesting. Yeah. Wow. Um, but he kind of wanted to play around with improvisation because he was such a, he was regarded as such a literary kind of intellectual. Mm -hmm. And I would say that the second half of his career is, if I were to make a vast generalization, I think far more appealing to me because it seems like he loosens up on some mm -hmm. of the... Um, 
rules he's created for himself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But he still follows a lot of rules. So it's it's like there's a freedom and a structure to it a little bit. It's somewhere in the middle right? in terms of those things. So, Sean, how does this movie open? So it opens on a really interesting scene where she's... uh, It's actually... (laughs) I say it's an interesting scene because I think about his work in that kind of way. It's actually an incredibly quotidian scene. She's at the office. Seems like she works as a secretary. There's two other women that are sitting at the desk by her. And she gets a phone call Shades from her Shades of friend. girlfriends and boyfriends. Sorry, but there's a little bit of girlfriends and boy, Like, again, a secretary. And she plays one in the other film yeah. as well. And she's yeah. an aviator's wife. And anyways, this film feels very close to those late summer films that we've watched. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So and she gets... She, so go ahead. Sorry, I so, so rudely interrupted you. <laughs> she gets a phone call from... Um, uh, her friend that she was supposed to go on vacation with and her friend bails on the vacation. So now all of a sudden, what uh, she was supposed to have summer plans. Oh, and her friend bailed because she wants to go with her new boyfriend, her new fiance. Uh, and then something now, of an inciting incident for the story some, of the movie. Yeah. Yep. Yep. The inciting incident is essentially this first scene over here where it opens on vacation plans, uh, plans getting canceled and she needs to figure out what she's going to be doing on vacation it's kind of like you know she doesn't know what to do with herself i just don't know what to do with myself uh you know like that's a great white stripes song i don't know if you know that one it's no really, i don't um, listen to the white stripes man oh fuck off um, Yeah, no no not a fan that no that ain't it man i think they're pretty good right some of their stuff yeah no? it's fine <laughs> all right well that's a good conversation i'm gonna now reference the white stripes in every single it's it, it gave episode. rise to the black keys you know it's it, the black keys and terrible shit is that then not that the white stripes are to be blamed for that but i'm just not as into like uh that kind of guitar rock oh man i don't know he's a pretty good guitar player though I, okay yeah. uh you're wrong about the white stripes so she gets stitched <laughs> Uh, she gets ditched and then the opening of this film the first act if you uh, were to call it that and I'd say yeah before she really makes a choice is she meets with a series of friends all doing different things um, for holiday it's a little documentary sorry it feels like no it feels like documentary like the scene with the old man who's like well I went on vacation sometimes but I couldn't really leave Paris because I was a taxi driver it's like clearly not rehearsed clearly just kind of snapshots of like real like Marie Revere went to her friend's houses and she was like can we talk about vacation and this old French man going to film us doing it like it's yeah. really it's really like open and and yeah. kind of joyous it's like the uh jean roche like ethnographic documentaries of like the the 60s and like the reverse stuff that very much influenced the french new wave is like you see this observation you observe this naturalism but it's all through conversation right and um it, and that really ties into so much of like what influenced the way he he films this stuff so the the taxi driver that you're talking about. So she gets this bad news. Um, we uh, then just cut to her with uh, a f- friends, uh, the first of which is this older taxi driver. That's someone they met the day before, a taxi driver. They talked to, him, talked to him. They liked the way he looked, and they talked to him about getting involved in the movie. And uh, he started to talk uh, about his life story. And then they were like, stop, save it for tomorrow. Wow. And then so they met him the day before. And then really Marie Riviere was just asking questions. So to treat these improvisational scenes like a TV interview, which is what sort of inspired him. He saw in TV interviews that people are able to be natural, but naturally in conversation, you're also giving a performance. So mm. TV in that way, when you don't want to give non-actors or non-professional actors like a script, that's when they start to become unnatural. But if they're just reacting um, yeah. Which says so much about, you know, the core of just really what acting is, is acting is reacting. Um, you're able to turn non-professionals into actors or into performers. Right. And certainly I think that like he's ahead of the curve when it comes to thinking about a lot of these these issues that are always in co- conversation right now, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of like, what is a documentary? What is an, I mean, like, you know, there's the old adage, which I think is a Jean-Luc Godard adage that every film is a documentary. Right. And yeah. like, that's kind of. uh it's interesting. It's just very, very fascinating. Yeah. Um, um, so everyone kind of lives, does different things for vacation. So you get to hear, it's like a documentary you're saying. And so you get to hear all these things people are doing on their vacation, like um, camping. So she meets with friends that are camping. There's oh, one. Sounds terrible. The old, no, thank yeah. you. And then as an audience member, you're watching it and you start to be like, 
oh, I I don't want to do that. I don't want to camp. Ooh, Camping. Ooh. Oh, I would I would go with that crew. They're going to Ireland. That's cool. Yeah, that's um, sick. Ireland's <laughs> sick. Yeah, and then um, ultimately her friends like just come and see. Oh well, actually before that, um, everyone's trying to tell her what to do. Yeah. Throughout this whole movie, she's unsure what she wants to do for vacation, but everyone's telling her what to do and saying, this is what you need to do and this is what I would do and you're not putting yourself out there and you need to say yes to things and why are you scared to travel alone? And she's kind of being harangued from like everywhere. Harangued is very good. No, she is. And and I, I think you should describe the next scene because I actually thought of a very, very new movie that this totally reminded me of. Oh. A movie that got a lot of attention last year. Uh, that for and in in the case of this film, it's for a very very specific sequence, and it is a European film. And I'm not going to tell you what it is until after you describe the next scene of the movie, which is the veg. According to your wonderfully researched outline, the vegetarian scene. The vegetarian scene. Um, I think you know if I had to make a list of top twenty scenes from movies that are fucking incredible, I think it's this good is scene. one of those scenes. Yeah. And um, what what has set the set the scene set the scene, Sean? So at this uh, for this scene over here, she had decided to go to uh, her friend, um, played by Rosette, who is a pop star um, around the the eighties in France, um, to go to uh, her friend's uh, family house in the country. So she's with her friend, her friends, um, and it's a a lot of strangers. They're at dinner. The dinner's being passed around, and they start to ask her about her uh, if she's going to eat anything. She's just eating tomatoes and uh, some salad. And then it gets into a conversation about her vegetarianism. Uh, and that's where it starts to really, um, it's a long scene that's like about maybe five to six minutes long. And it's about her having to defend her beliefs. Right. And the key thing that I think this, you just said a couple of things that are really interesting. One thing you said is people are always telling her what to do. She always seems unsettled. She never seems satisfied. She kind of sometimes almost seems to throw a wrench into the possibility of her life. Then she goes on vacation with a friend and spends some time with people she doesn't know. And it's really awkward. And the movie that it reminds me of, can you think of a movie that came out in the last year about a, uh, in this case, it's a relationship where the couple go on vacation together with like family friends in some rural European setting. And the, and the, the, the main character who is a kind of put upon young woman is like, what the fuck is, where am I? I wanted to say Birdman so, Island, but like, uh, close, close. Midsommar. The worst person <laughs> oh, in the world. Yeah. Yeah. This movie has huge worst person in the world vibes. Like, this the the plot plot aside yeah, there's something yeah. to this character's sort of like self annihilation or inability to exist in a happy way mm-hmm. um and she's sort of at in the end of the film kind of has to come to terms with something i couldn't help but think about uh, that film which i yeah. think was a pretty good film I, I i didn't love it it was a real downer of a movie but the 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 kind of relationship between these two movies is really, really fascinating. Oh, I would yeah, love to ask yeah. Joachim Trier I mean, if like, he's a Romare fan, which I'm sure he is. Yeah, I mean, watching Worst Person in the World felt... Uh, there are very few movies that feel very much indebted to the French New Wave, I think, yes. in this post-New Wave era. And that's a movie, along with like Arnaud Desplashen films, um, where it's like, oh yeah, like I feel the lineage of what they were doing and like how this yeah. is in conversation with Truffaut films. And um, Truffaut is who I felt the most through Worst Person in the World. Oh, very um, interesting, very yeah. interesting. But that's also like stylistic things. So then she goes on a couple more vacations. She goes to like sort of a mountainside oh, area. There's, a, there's for... a few vacations in this vacation movie. Oh, there's, movie. A, few there's vacations a few vacations in this vacation movie. So I sort of thought before I saw this, it was just kind of a beach movie. And it is not at all just a beach movie, um, which is really, really interesting. So then I got to hang on. Guys, I'm not editing the side of the show, but I'm getting work. I'm getting work emails. And uh, they keep going, ping, 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 ping. And Don't I just want to shut it <laughs> I just want, don't they know Fridays are Romare Fridays, days? Yeah. And also, I was going to say Friday evenings, but we're on our different time zones. We're on so our for me, it's like wine time. time. Wine and time. For, you, for it's me, still, it's like uh, you know, avoiding, avoiding yeah. work time. Uh, let me just close this sucker out and we can keep going. Oh, my God. It went off one more time right before I did. Ah, it's annoying. Okay. So... She goes to the mountains. She leaves after one day because she goes on a solo walk and she gets really, really sad, which 
You know, there's uh, a few of these solo walks, solo walks in the movie, right? Looking at plants, uh, yeah. that kind of thing. Crying, crying yeah. is a big yeah. subject of the solo walk. This movie is, I don't knew, didn't know this before I saw it, but this is like a pretty, I joke about the summertime, summertime sadness, the summertime, summertime sadness, but this is a movie about a depressed person. Oh yeah, and it's like a, a deeply it's sad an emo person. movie. It's an emo movie. Yeah, it it is. You see, this is so you shit on the white stripes, but when you say emo, oh, I'm like, Ugh. well, yeah. But now, now this makes sense. You know, you're you were more white stripes. I was more emo, and that's that's how we'll approach things on the show. Nothing. I'm the emo guy. You're the white stripes guy. Yeah. Well, I don't think I don't want to be painted as the white stripes guy. I this think has that's now little... defined our identity on this show, and we must live with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's so sad i can tell that we are go- gonna be fuck i fucked up the rhythm <laughs> i can tell that we are gonna be friends you know that white stripes that's a good white stripes song that's one of the better ones um <laughs> hey the, sean uh... sean i'll see you later at the hotel yorba <laughs> all i got inside is vacancies all right Oof, we're off. We're off the rocket here. We're off the reservation. It's fine. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. You guys still listening? I hope so. Okay, so, so solo walks. Solo walks. Sad. Um, these these solos are. Um, so there's so many scenes of conversation, and then there's advancement of plot towards that. And Romare's so cool in the way he approaches the delivery of information. You watch this movie and you learn things like she was left by a fiance. You kind of get a context of how fiance is Why is she is left treated. by a fun fiance? Or is it kind of like this? It it feels a little uh, unclear what the real background is, of her, her problems are, right? And and that's like, that's Romare. That's, um, it's not important, all these details. And I think so many, like you watch an American indie movie and it will give you the like, some bit of exposition of like this is exactly well, 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 what happened. I don't think to me. we should make it about like regionality specific. I think there's a tendency no, in American that's cinema. True. There's for, a tendency to, to in ex- American ex- explain things, right? Indie. Yeah. Yes. Well, those are different, right? And, but yeah. also, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. But yes, I do think her background but is like like. Can you trust? It's her not important all the time? information. Well, it's not. We don't need to know all the details. And she get at the end. She kind of talks about it where she says. um, uh, someone's like, oh, why did when she meets the Swedish girl, her uh, she says, why did you Lena, and your fiance, Lena, Lena, who speaks every language, she speaks it, which is amazing. Uh, <laughs> it's like, wh- why did you guys split? It was like, oh, it wasn't him and it wasn't me. It's just a, it's life, you know. And I think that's like the core of it. It's like it's not so like this thing happened and therefore this thing happened. It's when you, two people realize like this isn't what it's meant to be. This isn't that poetic relationship. This isn't that. And it's, um, well, it's there's no particular in- reason for it beyond Sorry. just like it's not these two people together. It's also just interesting because the film that we started this season with, which is, is Locke, was Locke Collection News. And I think it's interesting to think about how like the, the format of his filmmaking has not changed so much. In fact, he kind of had a consistent production style throughout, right? Mm-hmm. So it's direct sound, simple camera treatment, right? But what, what has changed is the lightness of approach. These li- Even Percival is a yeah. lighter movie than La Collection News. La Collection News is like heavy. It's a hard rewatch because like yeah. everyone kind of sucks. They're mean, and it it feels and it feels colder and judgmental of its characters. It's it's mm-hmm. he's like kind of rubbing, rub like kind of rubbing his nose in their face. And there's more freedom and lucidity and like and looseness to this movie, even though it deals with some of the same themes, men and women, mm-hmm. how people relate, and it's much more sympathetic to everybody. You know, and yeah. there's the two boy when when she's sitting with Lena, um, Pierrot and the other gentleman's name, who I can't remember, come over and kind of hit them up. And they're, if if it were the Romero of La Collection News, they'd be like predators. In this version, they're kind yeah. of just nice, goofy guys. Like yeah. one of them chases her down. He's like, I like you, you seem nice. And she's like, get away from me. And he's like, uh, yeah. okay. <laughs> um, well, you know? we got it. We, I mean, that scene is uh, so incredible. We have to talk about should we, that should scene. We, should, we, should we jump to it? Or should we talk very briefly about the strange, strange Jules Verne scene? that plays around this point in the story. We should talk briefly about that because I think um, we've, we're building up this idea of like how she's gotten to, to where she's gotten. And um, leading to this Jules Verne story, throughout the course of this movie, we see and hear a really interesting piece of music, this fugue that repeats 
um, throughout the film. Right. And uh, certain moments of like coincidence happens. She finds uh, a playing card. Um, that's a great. couple times. A, a couple times. A couple mm-hmm. cards. She sees a green flyer for a psychic ad. Um, she sees the sign for the green ray, um, the souvenir store, um, that's towards the end of the film. So there's all these things that's green that's popping up. And we start to learn over the course of the movie that she's someone that looks for meaning in things. She looks for poetic meaning and poetic truth, um, in life around her. There's almost like this, like, like super, uh, is, uh, she even says like, she believes in personal superstitions, um, and uh, so these things are happening. She comes down, um, descends down these steps in, uh, is that when she's in Biarritz? Uh, the beach spot yeah, or before yeah, yeah, she yeah. gets to the beach spot? Yeah, I okay. think she's at the beach spot at that point. Okay, in the beach spot. And so then- interestingly, that was where my gap in the movie was when I watched it this time. I stopped after the green ray scene because it was late and I was tie tie. Mm-hmm. And I decided to watch the rest the next day. So it's in, yeah, but it was at Biarritz. Yeah, you're right. Okay, cool. So she's uh, she's at Biarritz and... There, um, uh, there's some people over there recounting this uh, Jules Verne story where they're talking about um, uh, the novel that he had written, I believe, the novel called The Green Ray. Mm-hmm. And, from the late 1800s. Uh, from the late 1800s, and The Green Ray being about this um, meteorological phenomenon based on the atmospheric conditions where for the briefest moment in time, as the sun dips just below the horizon for that, like, one uh two twenty-fourths, let's put it in film terms, two twenty-fourths of a second. Ooh, or I wish we counted you. I wish we counted the frames on that that last it is, shot it is, over there. It is probably, I would say, half a second. Or yeah. it's longer it's longer than you think though. It's not yeah. like yeah, it's it's yeah. uh it's I long. wouldn't guess more than like twelve to sixteen frames. Sure. Yeah, sixteen yeah. frames seems reasonable, which in in normal uh, terms is like less than a second. It's like yeah. close to two thirds of a second. Yeah. It's exactly two thirds of a second. Oh, 16 yeah. frames. Damn, yeah. that's good math. Good math, boy. Shit, I didn't know you had math skills, man. I don't. I don't. Yo, I, math, listen, I'm the math. That was impressive and, to me. I'm the math and white stripes guy. That's OPO Liam. Yeah, that's the math and white stripes. Yeah, that's what they know him for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Isn't he the podcaster? No, no, no. He's the white stripes fan. <laughs> oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah, didn't he get nominated for an Emmy? Yeah, but did you know that he likes the white stripes? That's like sort of his thing. <laughs> that's all. That's all he'll ever be known for. That's and it. then I'll, that's when they'll interview me in the magazines at that time. It's like, Liam, and they're just like, oh, fucking White Stripes guy? Oh, White Stripes guy? Oh, White Stripes guy. Do you guys like Dashboard? What? <laughs> yeah. All right. You know, I mean, if we had to be, I'll, I'll be, I'll, I'll own up to being Dashboard guy. That's okay. I'll, I'll eat that. Uh, you um, can eat that. So um, this is our, as an audience, our introduction to this, uh, the idea of the green race. So we had the namesake of the movie. But it's very meta. Very rarely are movies like, you know, my joke is every movie should end. It's like how the the, uh, Oscar Wilde's (laughs) The Importance of Being Earnest. Do you know that play? It ends with someone saying, I finally learned the importance of being earnest. Which sounds cheesier than it is. But, you know. I think everything should end with the last line should be that's the really, title of the movie. That's so really it's like, cool. Like a really good example is, wait, Halloween ends? <laughs> Even, uh, I think, a interesting sort of creative I'm glad you got off that exercise. ambulance. But th- that could be kind of cool. That'd be an interesting creative exercise to not write a title for a movie at all, period. Write something or write your story until the last word and then whatever is like that last phrase or last word let that be the title right so it's like a title in retrospect the uh well end yeah because end it's the green ray is a weird title like when i first heard this title not knowing it was an eric romare film like my first thought was like Oh, did Eric Romare make a sci-fi movie? I'm not gonna lie. When yeah, I you first know, it heard has big it, sci-fi vibes. Sure, yeah. sure, 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 sure. I mean, he made um, a weird night movie. Right. <laughs> why? Why couldn't he make a weird sci-fi movie? Yeah. And no, this for was, sure. This being an early film of his that I watched in my life, so it's like uh, not knowing his full oeuvre. It's like, oh, okay. Like th- I haven't seen. This was the first of his '80s movies that I'd watched, so I really didn't know um. what direction he went in. So when I heard this title, Green Ray, to be honest, the title when I first heard it sort of put me off because I couldn't understand what the movie could be. Its U.S. title was Summer, so I guess U.S. distributors at That's that a time. Bad name. All, it's that is far too general, but I understand where they're coming from with that title no, and why. Well, it's, why it's also it could hard to market re-branded. a movie like this, right? Like it right. is hard. It is in, in retrospect, it isn't. But um, 
you know, retrospect, if, nothing is. Or is if, it, yeah, yeah, but if someone, <laughs> that's true. But if someone that wasn't Eric Romero made a movie called The Green Ray, they'd be like, I don't know what to do with this guy. Yeah. Like this, because it, it seemingly has nothing to do with the content. Whereas Summer is a pretty clear name. And like The Aviator's Wife is a clear name. Uh, Boyfriends yeah. and Girlfriends is a, gr- Girlfriends and Boyfriends, excuse me, is a great, I will never know the title <laughs> of that movie. It's a great title for a movie, even though yeah. I don't know it, right? Yeah. Or whatever the case is. Like it's, it's a challenge uh, with these kinds of things. So let's it talk really about the. Is, let's talk about my favorite band, the Swedish Friend and the Boys. <laughs> if we ever start a music project that's like influenced by White Stripes and Dashboard we are Confessional, Swedish Friend and the Boys. <laughs> this is going to be a nice, like, uh, tangential. There's uh, somewhere bit between the White and Stripes SoundCloud project. Yeah, there, there's somewhere between the White Stripes and Dashboard Confessional. Oh, Swedish Friend and the Boys, I love them. <laughs> And the, you, know, you know what the other, you know what the opening act will be called? Circus name. Because when she, when Pierrot says his name, she's like, that's a circus name. Like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Such a good scene and such a good band Swedish Friend and the Boys will be. Um, oh, they're going to be great. Mostly keyboards. Um, this scene is um, Delphine has accepted truly being alone. She's traveling around the beach by herself. Right. Uh, and then there's um, a, a topless uh, beachgoer. Um, what's the name of the Swedish friend? Lena. Lena. But um, she might be Spanish. She might be German. She keeps like pretending to be something she's not because she yeah. likes to play games with people. She likes which is to a play really, games. In, uh, in, which is which, something she explicitly says. This is and, not and, us. And is, is, is the subject, is one of the clips in the Michael Sarah brief conversation adventures of movie going that follows, mm. that follows when you play through the movie, you then get Michael Sarah talking about this movie. And it's a little like promotionally and a little glib. He's not glib at all, but like, you know, they edit those down in such a way, but them sharing that clip reminded me like, this is sort of a big moment you know, so she meets these guys and there's all, she meets Lena and they're sitting and like mm-hmm. having a nice drink on the, uh, on like the, like a deck, like a, like a deck with like a place that probably sells like ice cream and like, oh, it's like pure vacation stuff. It's like, oh, we're at the beach. Let's go yeah, get like yeah. a, a hot dog and, and some beer or whatever the case yeah, is. Yeah, nothing fancy, just like regular boardwalk sort of chill. Right. And these dudes come over or it was, she's kind of like. Lena invites them over. Lena invites him over. She catches eyes with one of the guys. Right. Well, and she's kind of like, let's have fun. And um, Delphine's like, I don't know really how to have fun. (laughs) And then these guys come Um, over and go ahead. Oh, this scene's all preceded by like kind of the major climax, the emotional climax in a lot of ways for Delphine, where this whole movie, she has a hard time articulating the feelings that she has. And this scene's really sad. Like the scene leading, uh, I mean, this scene too um, has so many other awkward, sad things. And uh, but leading up to this, she talks about like feeling like people don't um, don't really see her. Um, uh, she says, "If I had something to give, people something would to give, see it. people would see it." Fuck, and that's yeah, a big that's line. like a hard truth to sort of say about yourself. And like, I feel like that's what she's struggling with this whole movie, and everyone's haranguing her, and she feels very different from them. And um, uh, it she finally says the thing that she 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 can articulate what she's been feeling, right? And it's a and big moment cries. in the movie, and she yeah. cries as she seems to quite a bit. Um, yeah, I want to comment. Then that- friends come, and then. And then, and then, that's then these, when, these dudes show yeah, up and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Lena flirts so, with like, one. So like very personal moment now followed by this thing that feels like a performance that's public. Right. And and the movie, this scene plays very much with singles. There's not a lot of two shots. It's a lot of like cuts from Delphine to Lena. Actually, not a lot of cuts. A lot of on Delphine, a lot of on Lena. When the two guys show up, a lot of it's on Lena flirting with this boy who's name escapes me and they're sort of joking about her being german and they all speak a spattering of different languages because they're european mm-hmm. so they actually like learn how to speak languages and then it keeps cutting to Perrault and delphine who are sitting next to each other and he's clearly like trying to find a way to talk to her and she's like giving him nothing and then yeah. finally lena's like he's, he's looking at her a lot and uh, yeah. she'll make like a little bit of eye contact but neither of them are taking that step right and eventually Lena says, like, so should we go out with these guys tonight? And Delphine like takes off. Like she runs away. Um, and it's a little like, come on, lady. Just no. come on. No, but haven't you ever been in a situation? Haven't you ever been in a situation where you're like, fuck, I really wish um I was 
not here. That's like cool. I'm yeah. here out of politeness and I want to get out, but there's no way to get out right now. Oh yeah, no, no, and, totally all uh, the time. <laughs> and but the it this all this before she ran off was uh preceded with what she perceives and what I would perceive in this situation as like kind of the ultimate disrespect. Uh right. Everyone right. introduces themselves. Everyone introduces themselves by name and asks each other. And then Delphine doesn't take it upon herself to step in, but no one asks either. And like that's a that's a real terrible feeling. Like she's truly invisible at this table in ways that's like a little bit of herself allowing that to be and making that possible, but also by virtue of like everyone not wanting to kind of like like uh, engage with her quite and as it's, much. It's interesting. She's she's, she's on camera a lot less than Lena and the other guy because I think he, he he's very good at making you like what's happening outside the frame, which is not yeah. something a lot of filmmakers do. It's a lot yeah. of you know cutting between but the two. But then also makes us forget Delphine in the way that everyone has sort of yeah, like yep, okay, yep, now yep. it's yeah, like in the way that she's feeling forgotten, we're forgetting her. And then we cut back to uh, cut back to them and it always makes for like a really marked sort of uh um juxtaposition if this had constantly been cutting back like how terrible would that be you know and you know, it makes you bad. think about just like well, it would, what it would great feel like editing no choice choices. was being made yeah yeah and this is um maria luisa garcia his editor on this film and Ro eric romare um make really incredible editing choices and a movie like this kind of allows you to see when to stay on a character and when to cut away and i think if every fucking film student could watch Romare movies and understand how a shot reverse shot scene can really work, yeah, watch his movies. Well, Hong Sang Soo has a little bit of that too. I mean, there's a lot of both superficial and uh, deep connections between them as filmmakers. And one, one I think superficial one is mm -hmm. the is the way they use shot reverse shots. Now, one thing I would say, though, very quickly, or I would ask is how much coverage do you think he shoots? I don't think he sh at this point in his career, he's shooting much coverage. I think he knows what he wants. Yeah. Um, with the, the cinematography of this film, a lot of it was um, in the hands of Sophie Mantegno. Um, a lot of the choices on the framing and like when things are zooming and when uh, they're not is that those are entirely her. Um, you know, and when That's we talk right. about this being improvisational, that. yeah, it was like, you know, it extended to the production part of it, extended to the, um, to the cinematography. And um, that's a really bold and so antithetical to the way we think about cinematography in a sort of traditional film school yeah. mentalities because it's like supposed to be this really intense collaboration but like i think what's interesting is he kind of like finds the best people and works with them and trusts them yeah. uh, i don't know if you've read much about it but hong sang su uh, stands behind a cinematographer and taps him when he wants to zoom in r like goes like this across his shoulder to indicate a pan goes the other way and like nice. if he wants to pull out he like taps his lower back wow. right so it's like yeah. they don't even plan it before he just kind that's, of like delicately awesome. touches him yeah. right to like yeah. tell him what he wants him to do yeah and then, and that's that's what yeah that's what we get a lot in this movie. I forgot how uh, what we were talking about right before I led into that tangent. Uh, we're talking about well, we we're talking about how our first cover for Swedish oh, friend, friend, coverage, no Swedish yeah. friend and the boys is going to be uh, yeah. "Summertime Sadness" by uh, whoever that song is by. Yeah, it's going to be really good. It's going to be really great. So speak, speaking to the coverage of the movie, though, all that's to say is um, with improvisation, he was very much of the belief that um, it works the first time. It doesn't work as well after. But a lot of these scenes that are improvisational is really about just capturing these conversations. So in a scene like that, um, they capture that scene. They capture the one angle of coverage. They'll have audio recorded on tape if they need to repeat any other dialogue. And then they just think about, like, what are the other shots that we need to capture to fill that in? Um, so it's a very so they kind of shoot a master. Way. They kind of shoot a master, but, yeah, the, master but the master isn't is necessarily a like a two. Yeah, yeah. The master yeah. is a choice. Yeah. Um, we should. That makes me think we should just very quickly say that it's the movie shot on sixteen millimeter. It's almost mm -hmm. entirely on a tripod zoom lens. And my favorite thing and all is natural, natural light. Oh, sorry. And <laughs> I love that. An all natural light because I hate lighting things. I hate it. It's so time consuming. It's so annoying. It's not that they're not, they're making decisions about light, but they're using what's available as opposed yeah. to being like, let's yeah. bring in huge, like lighting takes right. forever, yeah. forever. And I get and, why, you know, I get why, you know, you need it, but I admire, of yeah. course, like it's yeah. literally a key to cinematography. No, absolutely. But, but I, 
am so attracted to the idea of like, fuck, we, this is the light we yeah. have. So that brings us to our next scene. She runs away. She yeah. decides Wait, to leave. Ooh. I, I still want to talk a little bit more about that. You know, this whole season's about, you know, the, uh, thinking about the production methods. And yeah. I think with when we talk about natural light, Oftentimes what gets sort of construed, people, like a lot of kids, and you know, like I've worked with so many young people, and like, you know, things that I've thought about as a filmmaker too, is you want to work with natural light. Everyone hears natural light, and you hear about like Emmanuel Lebesky, and like all these amazing looking movies that are shot with natural light. And There's only like, one Chivo, though. There's yeah. only one Emmanuel There's only one Chivo. Yeah. Um, but you hear about these things that are shot in natural light, and it's like, cool, yes, that's awesome, I want to do that. But then when you're trying to make movies, everyone's trying to make movies in this sort of industrial model. For that, that's all about efficiency and planning. And um, in situations like that, like natural light, to really shoot in natural light the way that you want it to be seen and felt in movies like The Green Ray, where everything looks really incredible, or in uh, uh, Terrence Malick movies, is you're working with nature. You're not trying to fight it. And so that requires a different way of thinking about the way the movie's getting made. It's not being scheduled the same way. You're much more at the mercy or planning uh, around weather. And so a lot of people think of like, I want to do the natural light thing. And then they're still trying to apply different methods and modes of filmmaking to that concept. And the two don't necessarily go together. You and can't have both. It's a, it's a production question. It's, it's a, a production, production question. question. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think the TLDR of what you're saying is that the traditional industrialized method of Hollywood is hurry up and wait, get everything yeah. set and then wait for things to get set up. Whereas the Romarian method, if you want to call it is current con constantly be hurrying because you're not in control of so many of the things you mm -hmm. think you might be control of because yeah. if the sun's over there and you need the shot now you have to get it now similarly like if you're not planning too far ahead you know he certain conditions he applied certain conduct conditions to his you know filmmaking no script mm -hmm. supervisor no costume designer no none of the traditional department heads that we would you know necessarily have but mm -hmm. as a result his producers are probably dead at the end of a shooting day because they're rushing around doing a million things so right. yeah. it's a little bit about where you want to um, – it's a good lesson in learning how you would want to make a movie Yeah, more than yeah. it is anything else. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So she leaves the beach. She goes to the train station. She Irish – She no, that's an offensive thing to say. She exits the conversation. I'm Irish. It's okay. You can say she Irish goodbyes. It's okay. You, you I don't can, think that's you can say it. I don't that's know fine. if I can say it's, it. You can say it. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. I don't um, think that's offensive. My name is Sean. So like I guess there's Well there's wait, some are you kinship. not Irish? I'm I'm I am not Irish. I'm Sri Lankan. So Senevaratni <laughs> is not an Irish name. Would it be, would I am it be, a brown South Asian would it Sri be, Lankan person. Would it be okay for you to say a, a Sri Lankan goodbye then in this context? In this thing oh, a Sri Lankan goodbye never ends. A Sri Lankan goodbye is like you're at the door saying goodbye for like two hours. And it's kind of the best. I love it. I love a Sri Lankan goodbye because that means the party never stops. You this will not shock you. Love an Irish goodbye. Just get out of there. Don't say anything to anybody. Just leave. Get in your car. Put on, put on, uh, you know, whatever White Stripes album you happen to be wanting to listen to, and just getting out of there. Right? That's the dream. So, so she leaves. She leaves, and and um, she Irish she, goodbyes. She, she Irish goodbyes, and exits this conversation. And um, she says this. Uh, the one of the friends chases after. It's like, oh, but we could still have fun. Like this is cool. And she says, why do people keep trying to make me do something I don't want to do? And right. uh, it, it's a, it's a really powerful moment. It is. It's the first but, time she sort of asserts that that feeling that she's yep, been and, having, and and that she and that. Yeah, no, it's a big moment. And she and maybe you're right. Maybe uh, the letterbox description, which ends with, which is, uh, ooh, where's that? Is it? Uh, comes to terms with her isolation and anxiety is actually accurate. So I take yeah. it back. G I owe you a coke. <laughs> uh, she goes to the train station to leave. She's waiting for the train. A gentleman whose name do we ever get? Um, Jean. But I, mm, I don't think so. Don't but it's inconsequential. So. Sure. Um, uh, shows up. Yeah. They make eye contact. They keep looking away and then making eye contact. They say nothing to each other. They smile and like, boom, they're talking. She's reading The Idiot by Dostoevsky. And uh, she decides to go away with him or decides to take a later train and yeah. spend some time with him five minutes away in a beach town close yeah. by. Just grabbing a drink. That's like the first place. And uh, actually, well, throughout the movie. So there actually have been... Um, a series of men in Delphine's life. Um, right. 
she um is off uh, she's fresh off this relationship with a fiance and i think what fiance was sort of meaning then feels a little different from like our american conception of a fiance you know where it's like oh my god my fiance left me i don't think it's quite that no it's, uh, it feels it's like very casual partner but yeah it's more not like a like permanent a, partner it's not like oh we have the wedding day set and we're getting you know we're married no yeah again it's it's like right European, it's so not it's fiance is like an interstitial thing yeah um so uh so so we're at the uh yeah, we're so, at the cafe. The, the, so no there's a series of men that have met uh come up to her um throughout this film and they all feel like the wrong guys you know like there's the guy at the dock with the the sweater around his his neck and then she says he's a bit of a hustler there's the weird muscular guy that creepily follows her in paris from bench to bench so um, i have to wonder a, yeah, it's that's a really weird moment in the movie. It doesn't it's it's yeah. it's really strange for a variety of reasons, right? But it's 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 very yeah, it's odd. I don't know. And the, yeah, I forgot about that one until now, but I remember taking a note. Yeah. Like, What's this? This is a weird it's one. Like, it's like a creepy thing. And so there's all there are these men that are approaching her, but they all feel wrong. And the minute you see this guy on screen, You're this like, is the beauty the of that casting. Just feels like a like a normal, cool, like very he seems very kind. I think, and um, um, you see him, and you just see him at the distance, and he's not framed in any particular way of like, here's Mr. Right or anything he like that. Like, he wanders into her life. He wanders into the of. scene. He wanders into her the scene. He wanders into her life, and he feels like the first person that seems like, oh, that could be a good person for her. Right, 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 exactly. And they go on a walk, and they watch the sunset, and there's a the, there's a little shop that sells souvenirs that says the Green Ray. She says, you won't believe this. She explains what the green ray is. And then they sit and watch the sunset and you observe the green ray happen. And she sort of goes, oh, there it is. And she cries. And that's the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's an ending that the first time you watch it kind of catches you off guard. Because it ends in such a way that feels abrupt when you first watch it. But in um, when you when you revisit it and you think about it, it feels like, oh yeah, this is the ending. There is no other ending. Um, right? How could it end another way? How could it end another way? And there's a a moment though. So this whole vacation thing, he's been asking her. He asks her, "Hey, I'm going f uh, to this spot. Do you want to join me?" And this feels like the thing that maybe she's going to say yes to, like that big sort of jump, big choice. And she says, just be patient. But we get the sense that possibly this could be like right. the, um, uh, you know, like she might say yes. And then a really interesting editing choice. That conversation, she says, you have to be patient. It fades to black. It fades to black? Yeah. And then what does it fade in on? Fades the in sunset. on a setting sun. And then so now it's like, you know, with this, this interesting thing, it just it's like, that's the end of that. And it's almost like a refocus. It wouldn't work. I don't know. I mean, it would work with a cut, but like it, it, it does something different to make that choice. It could have been a cut, just a cut straight well, to. Does it, does it imply the passage of time? I don't, it could be, it, you could, I don't could, think it does, but it doesn't though, because there's all very, I think it's like the, the, the passage of that moment into a different moment. And it doesn't have to be this durational mm. passage of time, but it's the, uh, but so the passage much of, of a different is durational. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no. it's it's durational, but not about that. Like yeah, yeah, the duration of like, oh, that was earlier in the evening, and now we're in this later part of the day. I don't know. That's that's how I'm taking it. Um, but it very well could be sort of like they were there earlier in the afternoon, but um, everything kind of looks the same. But also by necessity of how no, they had to shoot this scene. Yeah, but I don't think time passes. No, I don't think so. And I either. think they would yeah. have shot coverage if they needed to 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 yeah. to pass that moment. So yeah. it it might be something in his It's interesting because it kind of pulls you out of the movie for a moment, right? And look, look, maybe it'd be different if we were watching it in a cinema or whatever the case is, but it pulls you out a little bit and it challenges you. And it's unusual. Well, the the ending was the in the interview book by uh, edited by Fiona Handyside, uh, he talks about the ending and he said, everything else in the movie was easy. Everything just happened very simply. But the ending is the thing that was the most difficult. And he didn't feel like they quite had the ending. And so there was a lot of trying to figure that out. And in the editing, 
those shots of the Green Ray, those were not shot at the same time. Right, they were shot he, later. They, they were shot later. Out. And he said, like, that was one of the hardest scenes to film because it was so unnatural because it needed to have specific things. and But they're nowhere near the water because uh, it was too loud to record audio. All the audio in this movie, all the sound is direct mm. sound. So it was too loud. So they had to position them differently. The timing of the day wasn't quite right. They're looking at a plastic bag hanging off of a stick as their eyeline for their frame of reference. And so... Um, it's, like, it's like a Marvel movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's like it's like shooting against green screen in a, in a way. And he... Um, um, then when they were editing the film, they still didn't have the green ray footage. So they were working with like these kind of like created composited plates to just simulate what the shot reverse shot effect might be like actually a lot of the money in this movie was to travel to the canary islands to to capture the green ray shot um and it's really beautiful he talks in the interview book of like you see all these natural disasters but um who's ever captured these like kind of very simple beautiful marvels of nature just like the the blue hour in uh adventures of renette and we get to witness that as an audience alongside Delphine. And what a beautiful thing that Romare was able to do for us, which is um, we're going on this journey with this character. And by the end, when we see that green ray, we feel exactly everything Delphine feels. That's great. So that's kind of what happens in the movie. And I think we kind of got it most of the production stuff that we want to yeah. talk about with this film. Again, it's simple, direct cinema. It's an admirable approach. You know, maybe we'll come back and do a final episode, maybe, on what we've learned about what Romarian oh. means. But I think, in some ways, that hasn't changed. My appreciation of it has only deepened, and that this is a guy who wanted to capture real, lived-in experience, no matter what kind of film he was making, including when he's shooting a medieval epic on a soundstage <laughs> and treats the yeah. set like a like we're in the round. Yeah, yeah. Are you a fan of this movie? I think this is uh, an incredible movie. I think this is one of the greatest films ever made. Um, I think this is one of my favorite Romare movies. It's an emo movie through and through. I think it's one of the great movies on loneliness. Um, And this is the film when I show it to college students. um, And maybe this will be the one that I show my high school students. this is the movie that gets people into Romare. So I think this is really a strong entry point into um, Romare, if this is where you want to start. I agree. I agree almost tenfold. I, I'm not sure if I know if I think it's one of the greatest movies ever made, but I certainly think it is probably in the conversation. And I think it is probably my favorite Romare and, and the one that I, this and maybe Aviator's Wife of the things that we've watched so far. Um, and I have a few more holes to fill than you, but certainly it's one of the most engaging, beautiful movie. And I do think, it is a good movie to show teenagers because I think it might be relatable to certain yeah. types of teenagers. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and I think it can feeling be alone and out of step with people that are telling you what to do. Yeah. I think we could all, we've all felt what Delphine feels in this movie for sure. We have. Yeah. Um, next up on the show, uh, we'll synthesize uh, these last three movies uh, in terms of the working production methods and uh, think about what is Romarian in that context as well. Liam, where can we find you on the internet? Where are you at? Um, well, I have my White Stripes website that I post. Whitestripes.com? White stripes, no, it's WhitestripesFan.com. WhitestripesFan.com. Sorry, no, it's, it's WhitestripesNumberOneFan.edu. I started a college, <laughs> and so there. No, you can find me on Twitter at Liam G. Billingham, at least until I leave it. This, this episode is recorded uh, pretty soon after uh, uh, the takeover of Twitter by... Uh, a Bond villain. So we'll see what happens uh, if, if we stay there. But for now, you can find me there. You can also find the show on Instagram at RomareCast. And uh, we'll be posting all of the beautiful artwork. Well, you've seen it by now. Sean's beautiful artwork for the show. Um, don't follow me on Instagram because that's pictures of my kid. And uh, I, don't, I don't know you. So don't do it. Unless you're Jack White. Then you can follow me on Instagram. Oh, man. Where can we find you? Ooh, you know what? what's crazy, dude? I really what? wanted to say... I was about to say like jackblackfan.com and I was thinking like Jack Black. I was like, oh yeah, the singer of White Stripes. That's Jack Black. Right. Jack I love White. I I also love Jack Black. I think Jack Black. Jack Black great. is the the superior Jack, a hundred percent. I think I probably agree with that. I think that yeah. that's that's definitely true. Uh no only one man could write Wonder Boy. That's yeah. that's for sure. <laughs> Where can uh, we find you, Sean? 
I am mostly on Instagram, but I have a Twitter account and I am active on Letterboxd as oh, well. Oh yeah, Letterboxd too. Uh, Sorry, can... <laughs> that's a good place. Letterboxd is the best. Um, you can find me at the Brown Sean, Sean spelled S-H-A-U-N, on um, pretty much every social media platform. That is who I am. I am my social media handles. Um, aren't, aren't we all? That's that's the future. That's the world we live in, Liam. This is, is who true. we are. Yeah, it's dark. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Romericast. Adieu. Adieu. Adieu.